Jesus said that whoever hears his words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. Jesus uses a building metaphor when he speaks about the church because churches are always about building, building friendships, building faith, building community. Sometimes it's about building into people's lives by putting his words about loving other people into practice. Four years ago, a bunch of us hung together right here in Cancun at Back to Back and got a chance to literally build a soccer field that thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people have played on over the last four years. Part of why we create these type of experiences is so we can take the love of God and put it into practice by building buildings and soccer fields and community centers that change people's lives and grow their faith as well. The first project we were involved in here at Back to Back Cancun was we had the fortunate timing of putting in the soccer field. You know, the soccer field at the time, you really didn't know what you were doing. You're putting in a soccer field, but when you come back and you, you, you see what that soccer field means to the community, you're actually building this hope and this love and just what it means to that community is unbelievable. Since the soccer field has been built, um, what a true blessing is, is coming back and seeing what other teams have done as a collaborative unit, coming down and adding things that are very important like craft sections, sewing rooms, a dentist office, a palapa, a gathering area, an outdoor pizza oven where people can gather. Um, it's just a true community is being formed. So on Sunday we were paired with uh, individuals and I was uh, picked a guy named Kevin on the bus. Uh, and Kevin uh, was uh, very closed, you know, very, uh, um, you know, didn't want to make eye contact uh, and all of that. Uh, and I thought, here's, a, here's an opportunity for me to kind of get involved. Throughout the day, um, he was just everywhere, everywhere but my side. So he didn't want really to, to really make a connection with me. Um, and I've, I found myself uh, thinking, this is, this is the kid that needs the most help. When you're doing really hard work and you're putting concrete on a roof or you're building a chicken coop like we did yesterday and you see the instant result of the work, but then you go back and you think about Kevin, you realize that that's not an instantaneous turnaround uh, and you've got to really slowly step into an, an opening up. Uh, and those steps um, take time. I'm very anxious to, to come back and, and see that growth in Kevin. Uh, and so hopefully Kevin um, will continue uh, kind of coming to back-to-back -back and um, experience and playing like a kid and, and really opening up. Uh, and I think that's just going to give him uh, what he needs. The first time I came down here, um, it was more of a personal um, challenge. Uh, I'd never been on any kind of mission trip uh, uh, or anything like that before. It was something that I wanted to experience. Um, and in my mind, I figured, well, I was going to go down there and somehow make an impact. Um, what I quickly realized was that the impact was actually being made on me, um, and it gave me a different perspective. Um, and these, these people that I've had the privilege to meet and engage with have definitely um, changed the way I think about serving others. And the service here uh, becomes addicting. Year over year, we just cannot wait to get back down here. We've been down here as a family. This is my second men's trip. Um, it's, it's something that we look forward to, and I cannot wait to get down here every year. Each person from our church who came down here and built a community center, built a soccer field, were putting Jesus' words into practice when he said, go and love other people. 
What's amazing is people give up vacations to come down here to love on others. But what they discover is God builds into their faith. When you give to other people, it develops a new type of love in you. It's a God type of love. The kind of love that gives to give, it doesn't give to get. exciting to be with a team of folks from Horizon again down in Cancun. And it is just amazing to see how many lives are changed in the different environments we create as a church. From the very beginning of our church, we started up saying, let's create equipping environments for people who want to really dig into God's word like we're going to do today. Let's create connecting environments where people can go and connect with other people, have God broaden their heart as they work with other agencies like Belize Partners and working now with, uh, with Back to Back for 15 years and City Gospel and Interparish Ministries. God changes our heart when we give to other people. In fact, last week I mentioned that we're trying to give here to those who've been affected by the flooding in Newtown. We've had over 200 bags come in already. So thank you for your generosity to help those in our area, and we just really appreciate that. If you want to continue with the need, you can grab those on the way out. There's a little insert in there with the kind of needs that are needed by Interparish Ministries and our partnership with them. Also, if you feel like you'd like to go on a trip, either to Belize or Cancun, or you want to serve that city gospel, just reach out to us, and uh, usually our trips are in February March for our cross-cultural uh, global serving opportunities. So if you want to be part of that, let us know. It's another way you can give and have God begin to stir up your faith as well. And the last way that we're giving in this uh, series, we're talking about uh, giving in such a way to have our services made more available to those And I always joke that people can get on our website right now and they can download an MP3. It's like the cutting edge of 1998. Um, And so part of what we've been trying to do for the last 10 weeks is we're trying to raise a million dollars to put in full video production in our room so that we can have our services streamed. Many of you have second homes, you travel, and so much of what we do is visual. And so we're trying to put in a video system so that we can show our services online and so that we can use that video service to be able to offer additional space in the building. Turner's continuing investigating for us the best place to do that. We're trying to raise about a million dollars. Many of you have made pledges. Many of you have said, Chad, uh, we're not quite there yet. We're working on the different tax law changes. We want to do that this year. So just know that we still very much need your gifts. I'll give an update. We're on a third of the way-ish there on our raising the money. But we really want to use this as a tool to continue reaching our friends a tool that you can send copies of messages to to folks you might be inviting. It's been a great tool for other churches, and we want to sort of jump forward a a couple decades in our technology. So if you've been praying about that and want to give to be part of that, uh, let us know in making a pledge. It could be a one-year pledge, a two-year pledge, four-year pledge. It could even be an upfront gift, uh, whatever you feel like God's leading you to do. Well, today we're going to continue uh, the message in the series on startup, looking at Jesus' almost culmination of his Sermon on the Prairie. And he's going to talk about the idea that beliefs that aren't put into practice are really useless. And often we have ways in which we say we believe something, but we don't put it into practice. We say, for example, we believe in in forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. But we can't actually think of the last time we actually 
apologize specifically for what we did, owned it, said we're sorry, and asked someone to forgive us. So theoretically, we believe in forgiveness, but we don't actually practice it. It's useless. It doesn't work. You might say, well, you know, as a couple, we really believe what the Bible says. Great. The Bible says that you should not let the sun go down in your anger. We believe that. Well, that's great. And yet, two or three nights a week, you're going to bed, laying on the corner. You know, you know the, 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 the part of the mattress where you can feel the seam? When you're trying to get as far away from your spouse as possible, and you're on the seam because you're trying to let them know how mad you are at them. I've spent a lot of time on the seam. And, and, and instead of reconciling and working through the issue, I believe you should not let the sun go down in your anger, but there's a regular dose of you going to bed angry. You say you believe in in giving generously. That's important. God gave generously to you. But in practice, as you're doing your taxes this year, you don't see that every year you're increasingly giving away bigger percentages of your income. I was journaling, I think it was like two weeks ago, and I was saying, God, I believe you're in control. I was writing my journal. I was reflecting on both my kids graduating college this year. Uh, coming up in a few months, and how Beth and I had prayed about adoption. And when we prayed about adoption, we originally were looking at foster care. And we got done with the foster care meeting 10 years ago, and we said, there's no way we're going to do foster care. It's not right for us because we can't be the parents we want to be to Sierra and Javen. We have to go through all the wear and tear of what's required in foster care. <laughs> oh, I wish I could go back to the requirements of foster care because by adopting Quinn, the challenge has been a hundredfold. And as I was reflecting, I said, you know, God, I remember making this decision. I remember prayerfully making this decision. I believe you're in control, and I believe you led, and I believe you've grown me through this. But I'm not sure, Father, I've been the father I wanted to be to Javen and Sierra. Have I done the best with the challenges I had? Yeah, but God, I'm not sure I've been the father I wanted to be. I had this concern ten years ago. I was like, God said, Chad, do you believe I'm in control? Yeah. Because you're practicing, you're thinking on this issue as if you think you're supposed to be in control of everything. I like to control a lot for good reason. And God really convicted me that he's the ultimate father, and we're the conduit of that, but the burden of having to be in charge of everything in the world doesn't fall on me. Here's how Jesus used He's a great analogy. He says, he who hears my word, God's in control. Apology, generosity, sacrifice, forgiveness, how we handle anger is important. He who hears my word and puts it into practice is like a wise man. And remember, I've been showing you how Jesus is expositing Deuteronomy chapter 28. Last week we showed how Jesus takes an idea like good treasure... Our heart comes out of our good treasure and shows how in Deuteronomy, when you serve God, it's out of his good treasure that you serve. Jesus mentions abundance. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Deuteronomy 28, God gives you everything in abundance so that you can serve others. Now Jesus talks about building a house. So did Deuteronomy 28. That you're going to build a house, plant vineyards, and if you don't serve me, they're going to be wiped away. And Jesus tells a story to show the same thing saying that if you don't put his words into practice, it's like a wise man who builds his house on a rock when you do practice it, like a foolish man who builds his house on a sand if you don't. 
So what does it look like to build the kind of life that practices the principles of God? We're going to look at two truths today. In doing so, we're going to try and show the difference between being a Christian, somebody who believes stuff and goes to heaven, and a practicing Christian who's living out the commandments of Jesus. Because you've all met Christians, it's like, well, that doesn't work. I know you call yourself a Christian, but you're judgmental, you're angry, you're not really a great dad, you don't seem to handle life very well, you make foolish decisions. Like, I don't want to be that kind of Christian. I want the kind of Christianity that works. And that's what Jesus describes here, a practicing Christian. Truth number one, it only works if you work it. It only works if you work it, Jesus says. You can call me, say in your, out of your mouth, Lord, Lord. And the word Lord, Lord literally means master of the house. You're the boss, God. And you can say with your mouth, boss, boss, master, master, house builder, house builder. And not do the things I say. Whoever comes to me, and you are coming to me in this example, and hears my sayings and does them is like the analogy I'm about to describe to you. And Jesus is showing here that sincerity is not enough. All through the Bible, when someone's name is repeated twice, it's a great sign of sincerity and emotion. God appears to Jacob, says, Jacob, Jacob. Samuel, Samuel, I've got a plan for you. If you remember when David's son Absalom dies and Joab tells him about it, his heart is crushed as he says, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, oh, that I would have died in your place. Great expression of emotion and sincerity when you say someone's name twice. And Jesus says, you can sincerely say, God, God, master, master, house builder, house builder. But if you don't do what the house builder says, your sincerity is not enough. It's useless. It's not going to benefit you if you don't put it into practice. Second thing Jesus is showing here is that knowledge is not something to be accumulated. Abstract concepts. This is the difference between the Eastern and Western view of information. Greeks under Alexander the Great and others, they made information for its own sake important. What do you believe? What's something new to believe? Something new to learn? Nothing wrong with any of that. But the Eastern way, the Jewish way, was not about collecting new beliefs as much as asking yourself, how deeply do I believe the things I already say I believe. How deeply do you believe the things you already say you believe? Do you believe the Bible? Yes. Do you believe the book of James is from the Bible? Yes. Do you believe what James says should be applied to your life? Yes. Great. Let's look at one of his phrases. James says, be slow to anger. How deeply do you believe that? I believe it. That's an inherent word of God. Are you slow to anger? Why aren't you slow to anger? Well, I'm not sure. How deeply do you believe that the best way to do relationships is to be slow to anger? He goes on and says, be quick to listen. How good of a listener are you? Do you have your kids and your spouse and your employees say, you know what, you're just too good of a listener. I need you to cut me off more. No. Why aren't you a great listener? How deeply do you believe that listening is the best way to do relationships? Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. We might say to ourselves, 
The Bible teaches us that a wise man hears a rebuke. And instead of getting defensive, a wise person hears a rebuke, listens to it, and becomes wiser still. In fact, a rebuke to a wise man is better than a thousand lashes to the fool. So when you're rebuked, somebody gives you feedback, are you defensive? How deeply do you believe that God's word is true? How deeply are you applying it? Do you believe that God owns all things? Or do you primarily think that your stuff is yours? If God did an annual review with you, like you do with your financial planner, and God looked at the books and said, how are you spending my money on my priorities? Would you say, oh, God's none of your business. How deeply do you believe the things you believe? Second truth. Reality is going to reveal what you really believe. You can profess whatever you want. But reality is going to show you what you really value and really believe, what you've really put into practice. And that's where Jesus tells the story. He says, he, the man who does practice what I'm saying, it's like a man building a house. And he dug deep, thought about, processed, deep, deep down, and anchored his house on a firm rock foundation. He who heard and did nothing, didn't apply it, is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, on the sand. Now, all through Israel are these places called wadis, W-A-D-I, a wadi. A wadi is a massive, dry riverbed. And the top, you see on the left and right, massive rocks. You have to climb up there and try to you know, chisel your way in to get a rock foundation. A lot of work. Much easier to build in the dry riverbed where it's sandy and it's more like gravel down there. And after all, it hasn't rained in months. So build right here in the sand and you'll be fine. Keep that in mind as Jesus uses this analogy of the difference between sand or no foundation, and the rock. He goes on and says, He is like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, what flood? The stream, now what a weird thing to say. The stream beat vehemently. Like has that word ever, phrase ever come out of your mouth? Have you ever turned to your kids and said, Look at the little babbling brook. It's going to beat vehemently against you. No, I don't use the word brook or stream or creek, or if you're from down south, a crick. The creek and the crick. Creeks and cricks don't beat vehemently. So why does Jesus, he says it twice, that the stream will beat vehemently. And if you look up that word, how the Greek word's translated, it can be translated as two things. A stream and a babbling brook, or a massive flood. Well, how did that word get confused? How does a word that means stream also mean flood? Well, I think as we look at that, you're going to understand why it's so critical to Jesus' analogy here. A little background on Israel. Israel is, can have a drought in many areas while it's raining in another place. So it can be pouring down rain up in the north part of the country. I mean, just raining galore. And there can be a drought going on in the south part of the country. And yet, these dry riverbeds are channels or canals 
that what's happening a hundred miles north of you in a seemingly totally different environment, totally different weather pattern can deeply affect you in a matter of minutes, certainly in a matter of hours. So let me show you some video of exactly what that would have looked like. So you're in the wadi. You're sitting in the wadi and you're saying to yourself, oh, hasn't rained in months. If there's any water left over, you're enjoying it. Hey, a little bit of puddle, something to feed the sheep, something to enjoy. Like, you know, let's set up camp here. We're hiking here tonight. Let's go ahead and hike and camp and, and build our house right here in the wadi. It's a beautiful day. Meanwhile, 100 miles north, a storm is brewing. Clouds look fine where you are, and it begins to rain. Because so much of the country is rock, that water is not soaking into the ground. Instead, it's beginning to form a little brook. The brook begins to grow into a little creek. That creek, 100 miles north from you, still sunny day, is now turned into a stream. And that stream is beginning to carry a certain amount of force. And it's headed directly for your wadi. But you're unaware. You're just enjoying the campsite there in the wadi. And that stream turns into a river. And that river begins to turn into a flood. In fact, in 2017, Israel had to rescue 150 hikers in the Judea wadi because they were caught off guard when a flash flood up north came and almost wiped them out down in the wadi. How could it be that a stream so far away could have such a devastating impact miles away? In fact, the video footage you're looking at is all happening over a matter of hours. You'll see the time clock in the top left. In a matter of hours, we've had a little stream, a little creek, turn into a massive flow of flood. And because the sides of the wadis are so steep, if you're in there and don't have a good way out and don't make your way to the way you got down, you can actually be flooded away. And everything you have and everything you brought with in the wadi that day can be utterly and completely destroyed. All while it's a beautiful sunny day, you're saying, where did the flood come from? Where did the rain come from? How did I not see this happening? And in the moment... In a second, everything can be destroyed. Incredible, isn't it? Now, with that in mind, suddenly go, oh, now I understand why Jesus might be saying a stream can beat vehemently and bring about destruction. So much so that Jesus says, when you hear... And do nothing, it can result in a stream vehemently resulting in the ruin of the entire house. And many of us have allowed a lot of streams to flow into our life. We haven't applied and practiced what God says about forgiveness. In fact, the adrenaline rush we get when we get angry or we tell our story about not, being for, not forgiving them... We like that. We're drinking from that stream. We enjoy that stream. We can't imagine that that unforgiveness or that anger is ever going to cause any problems. We're not applying God's principles in that area. And God says, if you don't, that stream you're drinking from that you think is safe 
is going to become a flood to destroy your house. If you're not applying what I say about financial giving, financial saving, if you're not applying about how I talk about parenting, if you're not applying what I say about finding your life by losing it, truly loving other people unconditionally, then that little stream, the area you chose not to apply and practice what I said, not only can bring about devastation to you, but the whole house can come to ruin. Which means... It's not just going to affect you because the whole time you're dealing with the stream, you're saying, oh, that's a little secret, a little habit. I don't want to talk about that. It won't hurt anybody but me. But Jesus says, no, it'll hurt a lot more than you. The ruin of the whole house will be great. There goes the house. Oh, my goodness, the wadi. It's my house. There goes the tent. Have you seen my integrity? My innocence. It was floating away. I hope. Did you see it? You lose your reputation. Your ability to hear from God, what's called searing your conscience. You don't recognize God's voice and the Holy Spirit's whispers and leadings in your life. All because you tolerated certain areas of your life, certain streams of saying, I guess I don't need to apply that. I guess I don't want to apply that. Eh, God will let it go. And God will let it go. But reality will flood away things you care about. And Jesus says, that's what reality does. Jesus says reality reveals what you really believe. You didn't really believe that was true and from God and should be practiced in your life. And when that happens, a lot of things you care about and love get taken down the wadi. And psychologists have shown that we learn so much more from what people practice than what they say. And this is certainly true of parenting. Right? Your parents could go to church and talk about Jesus' forgiveness and go to every Christmas and Easter service. And while they're there, they say, oh, forgiveness is so important. God's forgiven us. Here's a question. Did you ever, or can you think of a time, that you heard your mom apologize out loud to you or your dad? Some of us might say, oh my goodness, I can think of lots of examples. Others like, my mom apologized out loud? No. Can you think of a time that you heard your dad, after he lost his temper, sit down with you and say, I am so sorry. What I did was wrong. Will you forgive me? Like, (laughs) my dad? No. How good are you at apologizing? Mm. You see, when a parent doesn't model apologizing, it doesn't matter what Sunday school lesson you go to. It doesn't matter what Bible study you guys are having. The reason you may not be apologizing is because you didn't see it practiced. And that was useless. And the wadi has flown from your father and mother to you. And if you don't make a decision to put into practice what Jesus says is true, guess where that water is going to flow? To your kids, to your grandkids. In an article from Psychology Today, they showed how (coughs) parents' modeling affects downstream pretty severely. If you're a worrier, what you are saying as you worry is, yeah, God's in control, yes, he made you, yes, you're important, but the world's a scary, scary place. And you're going to flow downstream anxiety, and fear. 
You're saying, hey, that whole verse about do not worry about tomorrow for today's got enough trouble of its own. Cast all your anxieties on him. I cast a lot of anxieties on him, but really I'm not sure God's big enough to control my problems. As a worrier, not applying the sovereignty and majesty of God, it flows down to other generations. And so for the sake of your own faith, but also for the sake of the ruin of the house in the future... We've got to apply this to practice this. Because in the same way that what we do wrong flows downstream, what we do right can flow downstream as well. I was reading an article about a guy who was stationed in Japan during uh, Vietnam. While he's working there in Japan, in Vietnam there was a soldier named Clarence who had had a horrible accident, horrible uh, casualty while he was uh, in battle. And the only way to contact your relatives back home was through a whole series of bouncing amateur radios called the Mars Network, back to back to back to back to back. He was in the middle of the the bouncing of the different signals when Clarence was trying to get a hold of his dad, calling from Vietnam and trying to get a hold of his dad in Hawaii. Well, he made the connection, and they had three minutes to talk. Clarence said, Dad... Dad, I've lost both my legs, all the way up to my knee. Dad, what am I going to do? How am I going to go on? As he listened in Japan, he heard a father in Hawaii talking to a son in Vietnam. And said, son, I'm going to be here with you. And God is still in control, and God is still strong. And I want to pray for those right now who are caring for you. And I want you to know, this doesn't change how I feel about you. God still has a plan for you. Let me pray for you right now. He said, Father, I pray for my son. I pray for those who are caring for him. I pray for the doctors giving him care right now. I ask that you will strengthen him, that he will be strong and courageous and know that you are with him. And I pray for all those serving in Vietnam that you will protect them, watch over them, and guide them. As he continued to pray, long past the three minutes that were allowed, the man writing this article in Japan said he just began to weep. Hearing a father put courage and strength in practice in the midst of the most dire of circumstances. He said, I couldn't even see the radio meters. I was crying. Just so moved by this moment. The father completed his prayer and he said, in Jesus' name, amen. And then each of the 30 intersections that occurred on these Mars radios between Vietnam and Japan, I was right, from Vietnam and Hawaii, all began to sign off. The father said, amen, WKRZ, amen, amen, amen. Amen. 30 amens ricocheting through the waves. People moved. Amen means so be it. So be it. Moved by ripple effect of seeing some father put into action his faith, his commitment, his trust in God, and encouraging or putting courage into his son in the most difficult of circumstances. And that is the power of putting this stuff into practice. So the question is, are we going to be like the foolish man or the wise man? And here's the question we need to ask. How deep 
are you willing to dig? See, the man who puts it into practice is like a man building a house who dug deep to lay the foundation on the rock. Are you willing to dig deep? To figure out why is it I am so fearful? Why am I so angry? Why is it the fruit of his spirit's not coming out of me? You've got to dig deep to find out what you're building on that's not the grace of God. Because if you trace your emotions and your fears and your anxiety deep enough, you're going to find something under the surface that's not God. What the Bible calls idols. That you've really built your life on your reputation and your decisions and fears and anxieties come out of your reputation. And when that thing you've built your life on your reputation is going well, you feel great. But that same reputation gets questioned and you just get devastated. You've built your life if you dig deep enough into what kind of a parent am I? And when my kids are obeying, I feel good about myself. And when they're not, I don't feel so good about myself. I realize the sand I've built my life on is my performance as a parent. That's why there's so much coming out of me that I'm not happy with. I talk about idols like status, performance, appearance, money. When you make that the foundation of your life, you're always going to be caught on a roller coaster. The same thing that builds you up on the way up will crush you on the way down. I had an example of this. Thank goodness I haven't built my reputation or my identity on my appearance. Because I'm getting uglier every day, I'll tell you that. Losing my hair, i got hair coming out of weird places. And, and, and I'm down in Florida at a conference about a week and a half ago. At the end of the conference, there's some sand volleyball going on. Now, I love sand volleyball. I still play, even today, a two-man and four-man. So I walk out, and it's like five on four. And these guys, like, they must lift weights three hours a day. They're all in their 20s. They got tattoos, six-packs. They're out there playing volleyball. And I walk up to the team of four. I say, hey, do you guys need a fifth? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I come out and uh, I start playing. And again, I've been playing volleyball an awful long time. And because I play two-man, I wasn't showing off. I just, uh, sort of just how I play volleyball. So I'm diving for balls. And when I dive, I do a somersault. And I'm back up ready to go. Because if you're playing two-man, you got to be ready to go. And, and so I'm playing. And I'm smashing pretty hard. And I'm significantly better than these guys who look much better than me. But I'm playing much better than they are. So as I'm playing, I dove to the somersault, back up ready to go. And I hear my team encouraging me, talking to each other like, Hey, what's with the... What's with the old guy? (laughs) The old guy? Little gray. I'm 45 for crying out loud. The old guy? And then I left my papers and phone right there by the, the net so I could go jump in the water. And the game was over, and so they're like, hey, whose phone is this, and, and whose uh, shoes are these? And my papers are sitting there from the conference, so I'm about halfway to the beach. You know, beach is covered with people, and they're like, and I can still hear them, though. And they're like, I think the papers belong to the old guy. <laughs> so they yell for the whole beach to hear, hey, old guy, I think you forgot your papers. <laughs> now, for some of you, that idea would be devastating because if you dig deep enough, you really do see yourself and your identity as your appearance. Now, mine isn't appearance. 
Mine is performance if I dig deep enough. So I could say, yeah, I may be losing my hair and have some grays, but I outplayed you. But guess what? The next day I played with a team where I was not at the top of the stack. I was at the bottom of the stack. And I got to dig deep and find out that how I perform as a, as a pastor, how I perform as a parent, how I perform in my career or on the volleyball court, that's a lousy foundation. Unless you dig deep, you're not going to find the things you're building on that aren't sustainable. In fact, it was weird. I, I shared this story in a couple of Bible studies this week as we're finishing up our start of Bible studies. And so, you know, even one day when I'm bad at volleyball, I can still say, yeah, but I'm a great communicator. And I felt good about this, uh, this illustration I gave about the volleyball this week. I said, hey, that really connected. I really helped people understand the, 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 the idols in their own life. And I get done speaking. I go to grab my notes, and, and I'm getting them off the table. And I look, and my zipper had been open the whole time I was speaking. Embarrassing. It's like, you know, speaking 101, check your zipper. You know, so that's my whole point. You know, you can build your foundation on anything, but only the grace of God is secure. And until we say, God, I believe that you are my master builder, and not only in theory, but I'm going to put into practice what you say in how I feel, in the thoughts I take captive, in how I spend, and what my calendar looks like. Because when we put into practice his words, they're not only useful, but it works. Jesus did not come to earth so that we could one day just get to heaven. Otherwise, once we accept Christ, he'd bring us to heaven. It's rapture time. He wants to know how to practice living life. He came that we might have life and life more abundant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful reminder that you want us to be wise men and women who experience you in the here and now. And Father, warn us of the streams we're tolerating, the compromises we're tolerating, the mediocre marriages we're tolerating, the mediocre practices we're tolerating. Father, and show us how to dig deep, find our idols, and to rebuild on the rock of your grace and our identity in you to which there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here today.